Content warning. This series will discuss topics that may bring up painful experiences for you. Please take the time to surround yourself with good medicines. If need be, pause the playback and go for a walk, stretch, have a glass of water, and come back to the show when you feel comfortable. Welcome to the Métis Speaker Series. I'm your host, Darian Kovacs. On this podcast series, we will be exploring learning, healing, and rebuilding within the Métis community. Our goal is to create awareness of and generate discussion about Métis issues, as well as how to heal from and move forward in a healthy way. We hope to reduce Métis invisibility in BC through the personal stories from our Métis community members. The show is brought to you by the Métis Nation of British Columbia, and jelly marketing. Why don't you tell us your name, full name, and kind of your role within the Métis community and kind of what your day-to-day looks like? Sure. Okay. So my name is Jana Schultz. I am the Region 4 Women's Rep within Métis Nation BC. I cover the East and West Kootenays in British Columbia Day-to-day, it changes, depends on what the needs of the women in our area look like. So my occupation is I'm a social worker. So, you know, I, I work in the field and currently I'm working in the exciting field of seniors' mental health. Incredible, incredible. Jumping right in here, when you hear the mm-hmm. term fair visibility, what does that look like for you when you hear that term? There's a lot that can be discussed with this question. So in trying to summarize that what fair visibility looks like for me, it would be when women are seen in leadership positions and on all levels of government, that is free from any form of violence. When we see more women in decision-making positions, of course, equitable status in the workplace, real women featured in media and marketing. So, you know, to stop sexualizing women to sell products in media, marketing, and educational materials, highlighting women in a way that shows dignity rather than victimization. I think that that's a big one because women are often shown as victims and, you know, it's not celebrated enough on the strengths that women have and what they contribute to their community and to their family. I think we'll see fair visibility when our women, girls, and 2SLGBTQQIA plus people, they no longer experience gender and race-based violence. When women don't need to plan their route from the grocery store to the car. And, you know, when we don't have to worry about what we're wearing in case what we're wearing comes into question. And as it's been in the news lately, you know, when laws are not made by men regarding women's bodies, right? And we have a right to choose what to do with our bodies without persecution. So I think seeing an end to all gender-based discrimination and gender stereotypes, we could see a potential break in the cycle of poverty. That's my views summarized. I could go on, but... <laughs> that, is, that is incredible. That's incredible. <laughs> And and all those dreams and hopes, do you have hope for them? And are you seeing glimmers of some of those points you made coming to life? I am. I did some very proud work on the National Families and Survivors Circle. I was the Métis member on that circle. And just sitting in a circle with such strong women and family members and survivors and working with federal partners and organizations in ending gender and race-based violence... I saw that hope, you know, hope that wasn't there prior to me being 
a part of that. Just from experience, it's good. And I see change in community. Even Métis Nation BC is highlighting women more, which that is near and dear to my heart. So I'm very grateful to that. That's incredible. And you mentioned folks that are survivors from certain harmful things that have happened in the past and maybe things that are happening now. When you think of healing practices and supports, what do most survivors benefit from and families? What do families benefit from? So I think with that healing practices, you know, those should be just determined by each individual survivor and family member because, you know, everyone is so diverse. And due to colonization, many of us have lost or did not have access to our traditional ways of healing. So I think it's important for service providers, support systems to ask what the individual needs or the family member or survivor in order to heal. Any support, you know, no matter where the survivor or family member's geographical location is or their affiliation. So whether status, non-status, Métis, Inuit, it should be delivered in a way that treats the individual with dignity and respect. Safe spaces and understanding of the distinctions is also beneficial rather than providing a pan-Indigenous approach. And I think it's also important that, well, it's imperative actually that those delivering supports and healing practices have an understanding of the history of Indigenous peoples in Canada and how that history continues to negatively impact Indigenous women, girls, and 2SLGBTQQIA plus people. Part of the work that I do, my goal is to see that all victim service programs are culturally safe and distinctions-based. And I would like to see specialized victim services in every community that is Indigenous-led, especially by Indigenous women. And interestingly, you bring up this question because with my experience and my story, I've did a lot of research on Indigenous policing. So we need additional Métis liaison officers within BC. Currently, we have one that covers the whole province. And she has other duties on top of being that liaison officer. And in 2014, there were 108 officers in First Nations policing. So although I don't have the current stats for that, I would assume that that has grown even further. So I feel like Métis are being left out that... It's really hard to get that culturally specific support that is needed in order to start that healing and to go through the court process or whatever it may look like that individual needs. So that's why I would like to see Indigenous-based victim services as well. I think that that is, is crucial to navigating those difficult systems that families and survivors face. And what do you think are the steps needed to make that happen? What would you, like, if again, wave the magic wand and if you could see X, Y, Z occur? <laughs> well, that, that's a difficult question, but I've been looking into it and I've actually had some communications with some of the RCMP, especially in E-Division that specialize in victim services. And I think funding is number one, right? You know, in looking in how we could get something like that established, even a domestic violence specialized officer is difficult. We need funding from both the community, from the province, from federal government. But the 231 calls for justice that stem from the national inquiry, there are some legal imperatives in there that really do bring that obligation to RCMP and to provincial initiatives to bring culturally specific services and supports. Yeah. Do you feel like as you have this very clear very incredible 
you know, in a sense, call it rallying cry or, or, or very clear, you know, lists. Are you feeling heard and listened to? Yes and no. <laughs> so I'm, I'm currently working through some informal resolutions with our local RCMP detachment due to my testimony at the National Inquiry into Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women. And I feel that parts of that are, are being silenced, that, you know, bringing light to what our experiences were here in community. They don't want to be brought to the surface. However, on the flip side of that, BCRCMP have included me in different programs where I've been able to, you know, go through some training that officers will eventually have and kind of put my views in as to see if they are trauma-informed, dignified. And it just it ebbs and it flows. Like there's days where I feel hurt. Our one Métis liaison officer is amazing. I'm really glad that she is on board and that she is assisting. Unfortunately, because we only have one, her duties are so big. I think things have fallen through the cracks a little bit. Through Métis Nation BC, this year especially, I feel hurt. There, there have been some challenges in past because I think it's new. Well, not that it's new, but it's coming to the surface. And as you can tell, I like to talk. So I, I tend to not back down. And I tend to do what I have to do to be heard in a respectful manner. I try to do everything professionally. And I just want to make sure that we're leaving our future generations a safe foundation, you know? Yeah. It's incredible. And those that are listening right now and, and are so inspired and so encouraged by the work that you're doing, both pioneering and being that incredible voice piece, what would be your advice to someone who says, you know what, I've got something burning inside of me. I've got this idea. I've got this uh, you know, injustice that I see and I want to be like you. Mm-hmm. Where have you seen where your voice was heard really well uh, or you, know, you were really honored in what you shared, even though maybe society didn't want to hear it? How did you make mm-hmm. that happen? What were the steps? Again, that's kind of challenging because to answer in a very, you know, direct way. So I'll try and do it without going all over the map here. But I would say just, you know, make sure to that person that they have supports, whatever that looks like and things that ground them. Because I think as this, for me, especially this journey, it is actually quite re-traumatizing. You know, you tell your story to people that you think you trust or people in high-level positions where you think, oh yes, I've got hope. And then, you know, perhaps maybe it's not the story they wanted to hear. And so, you know, there's a lot of lateral violence. There's systemic violence. There's been many times I've wanted to give up and not share anymore. But I'm very grateful. I have family. I have animals that I can vent to that have no judgment, right? We live in such beautiful country that, you know, going outside, just breathing fresh air and reach out. BC has a wonderful Métis crisis line. I don't have the number handy, but I think that it's just going through the motion, doing what you need to do and, you know, but take care of yourself. That That is number one, because sharing your truth it is, it's hard, but it's also a way to kind of help others. But I do have to say it hasn't been an easy journey and it probably won't be an easy journey because that has been the most difficult part is when I speak to somebody I feel like I trust and then having that abuse of power or lateral violence inflicted. But that doesn't happen all the time. It's just something that, you know, there's a cry for funding, 
right? In order for services to build capacity to support and assist, there's a cry for funding. So with that, it just seems like there's almost a race to who can do the best work, but things happen in that journey, right? That are are not really beneficial to a family member or survivor. One of the biggest things that I draw upon in my own practice is it only takes a moment to either make hope or break hope. And so one, that first initial sentence when you're running into a crisis can either turn a person away from seeking support or, you know, build trust. I think for anybody that has the burning urge to do the work and to, or to seek support, share their story, ask around, go to the people you trust and take care of, take care of you. Yeah. Some incredible advice. Now, if someone wants to take that first step, you know, they, they use, you know, the term there's like, you know, crawl, walk, run. And it sounds like you are currently running for those that want to maybe take that first call baby step into this. Would you advise someone uh, just to get into kind of the, the tactical side of it? Is it a, you know, post something on your Facebook account, send an email to, you know, these people meet with this person, which is, I know, harder to do these days, but mm-hmm. what's kind of a good first step someone can do to get their truth and voice heard? From from my experience, I think a lot of it is is research. What part of your story do you want to share and, and, and what avenue, you know? So, you know, Facebook is a great avenue to to get things out there and to share, especially social issues, right? Um, but with that comes, of course, comments that may be harmful, you know, and, and so it has to be monitored. But I write a lot of emails <laughs> and, and I introduce myself through email and it took a lot though. I testified in 2018. So, you know, I, I'm finally getting to a point where I feel confident in what I'm saying and knowing. And for the last couple of years, I had been told, well, you're a social worker. Be honored that you know how to navigate these systems. But with that came harm because it really minimized my role as a mother, as a sister, as a daughter, as a community member, and as a woman, right? So it it took a lot of healing and I guess finding myself in order to say, yeah, I'm a social worker, but I'm human. And so even as a social worker, I still cry. I still, I still get angry. I still have triggers. And so I'm not perfect. And so, you know, reaching out to people who can provide me with the mental health supports as well. It's been a journey, right? So I think it's just research. Who do you want to hear your story? For me, I was really privileged to be a part of the National Families and Survivors Circle that was something that I never, ever expected to happen or intended to happen. And, and I was very privileged and honored to be a part of that. So with that, I was able to share my story. I was with people who understood, you know, similar situations, feelings, and, and I guess challenges within society. There's a lot of doors that got shut where I had to kind of push my way through and say, no, my voice, it matters. And we all matter. And we need to see change within our society on how women are seen, how we're heard, and how we live day to day. That's incredible. Yeah. So if you could, and you have a chance right now, speak to the men of Métis Nation of BC, 
what would be maybe your word of encouragement or your challenge to them right now and those that are listening? I would say my challenge would be challenge those societal norms of, of you know, gender discrimination. And when you see something happening that might harm a woman, whether emotionally, mentally, physically, financially, spiritually, you know, stand up to it. Teach your children on what value that women bring and how important women are to a healthy society. When you asked about hope, a glimmer of hope, I do see that actually when speaking with men. Um, in this journey for myself, I've actually had a lot of men come up to me and say, what can I do? And I think that in itself, taking that step, asking that question is actually, it's done wonders. And understanding the history of, you know, traditions and 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 what missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls, what that is about. Because COVID has amplified, right? And has amplified the risk to women. And so understanding the risk factors, maybe red flags, and doing the work themselves too, so that they can be the best man that they can be for not only the women in their lives, but for their community. And when you say the work themselves, could you unpack that a bit? Um, just looking and evaluating, do they have any of those biases or locker room talk? Have they ever participated in that? You know, do they ever say it's just a boy being a boy or just kind of looking at where they have experienced or what they could have done differently. The successes, have they ever stood up for situations? How, where do they go to when they need support? Have they been harmed? You know, I think um, we all face harms and whether you're male or female, there's things that happen that we tend to push down and maybe we deflect onto other people. So again, just looking at how we respond or how they would respond in situations. I don't know if I answered that in a very clear way, but that's where my mind goes is looking at that. That's great. And then the challenges, yeah, yeah. One of them I've heard is start with the man in the mirror. If you want to make the world a better yeah. place, take a look at yourself and make a change. Yeah, yeah. What about women? The women that are listening right now and watching this show, what would be maybe your word of encouragement and or challenge to them? Oh, oh. <laughs> you gave some great challenges to question. men. You gave some great challenges to men, which I love. Yeah. What would be maybe a word of encouragement and or and I feel like you also gave encouragement to men, especially you gave some hope, those stories of hope for men, but the women that are listening, and, and you can take your time to answer. I think for a message of hope is that we're not alone. It's gonna take time, but we, you know, <laughs> women are strong and and you know, we face so many challenges everywhere we look, right? So to just be you, be you and do what's right for you. Don't let other people tell you what is right for you. And and a challenge, a challenge would be from my experience, I think is to really look at supporting one another and doing it in an authentic way. So we talk about lateral violence and we look at how lateral violence is impacting our, our communities, our organizations, our governments. And I have to say that lateral violence has been more traumatizing to me through this process than anything. So my challenge would be to just look at how you're responding to other women when you're supporting them, lift them up 
And that would be my challenge for women to men as well, is also for women to help give that safe space for men to be able to unpack what they need to do to be a part of the solutions as well. So we have a lot of work to do for both men and women in this process, but being authentic, you know, being providing a trusting, safe space, whether it's on the phone, through Zoom, you know, out for a walk with an elder, that that is the biggest thing. Yeah. That's incredible. Anything else you'd like to share with viewers or listeners? Having tough conversations is really important. And being a part of this fabulous series that MNBC is putting on, you know, it kind of opens the door for that. Because with tough conversations, that's where the biggest change happens, I think. You know, sitting down and looking at where we went wrong. And by we, I mean society, you know, where we went wrong, what our successes were. And then what could we do next in order to build on those strengths? I want to add that in there because I think growth happens best when we're kind of vulnerable, when we're facing those challenges head on. And I think that there needs to be accountability. And and that's with every Canadian, not just government, not just provinces, not, not organizations. There needs to be accountability to one another, to ourselves, and to our future generations. I think that if we can start by sitting down, discussing those things that, you know, bring the hurt, I think that we can really start moving forward. And of course, with that, providing support services that, you know, allow for a safe space. And then I'm going to add something in here, even though you didn't ask, but I would like to challenge everyone listening to this to read the 231 Calls for Justice. You know, there's such good information in there on where we can go and what we can do to make our community safer. And with that, check out the National Action Plan that was released on June 3rd. And while you're at it, please, please read the National Families and Survivor Circle contribution because that was developed by families and survivors. And it was such an honor to be a part of that and to discuss that. So yeah, that would be, I guess, all I really want to add and just be kind to one another, you know? Let, let's make this a good place for our future generations. Incredible. We're going to put a link to all those resources in the show notes, both those on video and those listening. Be sure to check those out. Add them to your further reading tab in your browser or print them off if you have a home printer that somehow works. But thank you so much. Those are some great ideas, great resources. I, I feel challenged. I feel inspired at the same time. So thank you for your time today. Thank you. I appreciate it. And it's such an honor to be here. Thanks everyone for joining us this week on the Métis Speaker Series. This has been the Métis Speaker Series podcast. I'm Darian Kovacs. Thanks to the Métis Nation of British Columbia for making this possible with funding provided by the Civil Forfeiture Office's Indigenous Healing Stream. You can listen to all of our episodes, learn more about the podcast, and sign up to the Métis Nation of BC newsletter to stay up to date on Métis news at metispodcastseries.ca. You can find out more about the music we're playing by Love Life by visiting SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash lovelifeofficial, L-U-V-L-Y-F official, and link in the show notes for your convenience. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite 
podcast listening device. See you again soon. Mina Kawapa Mitten. Thank you. Marcy for listening.